Welcome to God's Acre On The Go, a worship podcast of the Congregational Church of New Canaan in New Canaan, Connecticut. To learn about the life of our church, our in-person ministries, and the virtual connections and offerings available, please visit us at www.godsacre.org. Now, wherever you are, wherever you are going, we welcome you to worship. Church family, good morning. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to God's Acre on the Go. Wherever you are, wherever you're traveling, whatever you're doing, we're so grateful to have you tune in with us this morning. Um, This is Thanksgiving Sunday, so we're going to focus on a text that uh, many of us know quite well, though hopefully there's a couple features that you haven't noticed before, or at least that uh, kind of struck me anew as I meditated on this text. We're going to be looking at uh, the story of the Last Supper as it's told in the Gospel of Luke. But before we get to that, I want you to prepare your hearts and minds to receive whatever word the Holy Spirit intends you to take away this morning as we listen to this morning's anthem. We bless thee for this sacred So as I mentioned, we're looking at the story of the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, as it is told in the Gospel of Luke in the 22nd chapter. Uh, This is a moment when the authorities are really starting to surround and close in upon Jesus and his disciples, and there's this sense of foreboding that, that kind of pervades the evening and the conversation. 
So in Luke chapter 22, verse 14, we read, when the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles or the disciples with him. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired, and I love that, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus took a cup and after giving thanks, that means after he prayed, Jesus said, take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. So again, he prays and then broke the bread and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus did the same thing with the cup after supper. So again, another prayer saying, this cup is poured out for you and it is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me and his hand is on the table for the son of man is going as it's been determined, but woe, woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to ask one another, which one of them it could be who would do this. And a dispute arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like one who serves. And then Jesus went on in verse 31 to talk to his disciple Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. But Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the cock will crow this day, and before that, you will have denied me three times that you've known me. The word of God for the people of God. Let's just take a moment to pray together. Um, Lord, this is a story we know well but there may be features of it that we've not fully considered. So we pray that that we might enter into the story anew so that you can speak that which you desire for us to know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as, as you probably know, it's, it's not only Thanksgiving Sunday on God's Acre, um, it's Stewardship Sunday as well, um, and as it is every time this time of year. And, and, and so what I want to do just is to say a word about our goal for this year's campaign because it's important. Um, first, uh, we're hoping, we're praying that 400 church families and friends will choose to participate in this year's campaign. And and uh, you'll start seeing a QR code, you'll get your pledge cards, all of that in the mail soon. Uh, but we typically have about 350 families and friends who participate in our campaign each year. But last year, for the first time in my ministry uh, here, we dropped a bit. We were down to like 334, 336, something like that. And, and a large part of that decline, as you well know, is beloved church members who frankly sold their homes in New Canaan and, and left the community during the pandemic. Uh, but, but it's also a result, I believe, of some disengagement during the pandemic. I mean, honestly, we did pretty darn well hanging in together for t- the first two years of the pandemic. But you know, Time apart takes a toll and, and not everyone has made it. But now we're, we're entering this amazing moment when so many new folks and new families are finding their way to our church. We're, we're seeing pandemic trends reversing, which is, I got to tell you, nothing short of a gift from God. However, we still have a good ways to go. 
So we've got this ambitious goal. The, the high watermark for pledges in our church history was in the early 2000s. We received about 400 commitments. And I believe by the grace and encouragement and goodness of God, we can get there again. And we can do that if everyone who's experienced connection and blessing through this community, whether in person or online, makes a commitment of support this year. So that's the first thing, 400 commitments. The second is I will have folks ask me from time to time, what's an appropriate gift to give? How much should one give? And there are uh, script suggestions. Uh, The Bible says that we should tithe. We should give 10% of our income, the first 10%. Um, sometimes we, we, we give kind of a giving ladder, as you see in our stewardship math, uh, materials, and, and maybe another guide is to step up one level. But, you know, my advice, actually, it's always been the same. Uh, your gift is an offering of gratitude to God for your life, for your, those you love, for this day, and all the days that have been and will be. So my suggestion is that you just you give a gift that feels worthy of your gratitude to God. And if we all do that, if all, all 400 of us do that, the church will have all that's needing, needed, and I, I think the Lord will be very, very pleased. Now, that's stewardship, but it's also, as I said, Thanksgiving Sunday. So we need, we need to talk about the table, the communion table that sits in front of us each Sunday, but also meals and what can happen when people gather together to break bread. Um, we're already working on next year's church curriculum. Uh, it's entitled Table Matters. Uh, and it's going to focus on all the stories in the Gospels where Jesus references food and drink or talked about meals or tells stories about banquets or, or served as a host or guest at a meal. I don't know if you noticed, but there are over 60 stories in the Gospels. It's amazing. 60 stories in the Gospels that connect Jesus and food, that connect Jesus and the table. See, the table was and is central to Jesus's faith and his teaching of it. Meals are sacred events in the Gospel, never superficial. No small talk at these tables. No, always sacred and holy and life-changing events. I think you can make a pretty strong argument that sharing a meal was the most important faith practice that Jesus and his followers engaged in. I hope you heard, I tried to emphasize it, what Jesus said about the meal that was described in the text we just read. He said, I have eagerly desired. I love it. I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. That's Jesus saying, you know, I've been so excited to get together tonight. I I, I couldn't wait to have this meal together. Jesus enjoyed meals. It, It might have been his favorite pastime. You know, something about eating together gave Jesus joy and provided an opportunity to experience something sacred. And I'd argue that shared meals were more important to Jesus than Sabbath observance or the legal code or sin itself. The dinner table is so important to Jesus that it has been the central feature of our faith since the very beginning. We've got got communion tables in the center of our sanctuary. The, The cross that we look at, that wasn't really added until 400 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that the table's central because remember, the first churches, the first Christian churches were in people's houses. And the dinner table was where these folks met to pray together and sing together and learn together and eat together and to grow together. The shared table is this just incredibly powerful experience. You know, sometimes I think we make faith and faith practice so complicated. Jesus said it, it begins and ends at the table, where, where when people are eager to eat together, particularly people who can struggle with each other, When we eagerly gather to eat together, something of the kingdom of God is experienced and demonstrated to the world. Now, 
I got to say, not not everyone and, and not all pastors understand the importance of the table. One of my most memorable churches uh, in my childhood was the Christ Clarion Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, New York. Uh, it, when we joined, it was still a rather young church. It only had about 30 families. And Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown was the church's first pastor. I love the fact I my previous uh, pastor in my childhood, you had to refer to him as Reverend Dollefeld, and then we got to... We got to call Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown. He seemed like the coolest pastor I'd ever met. And he was only the second pastor I'd ever met, so that wasn't hard. But but I remember Mr. Brown would allow us to clear out all the folding chairs in the sanctuary and we'd play knee football right there where we met for worship. We had to, uh, to do that, though we didn't just move the chairs out, we moved the communion table out, which wasn't that difficult because it was light. It was a picnic table. See, the communion table in that sanctuary was the picnic table that the founding families of that church had first gathered around when they began to feel called by the Lord to start a new community of faith. Now, years later, I'm told, when Mr. Brown finally retired, a new pastor arrived. And that pastor saw the picnic table and had it thrown out, literally threw it in a dumpster because in his opinion, a picnic table was not aesthetically appropriate for the Lord's table. You see, sometimes... Sometimes we complicate faith unnecessarily. Sometimes we don't, we don't get it. Sometimes communion tables are so overlooked, they get tossed out. And as it turns out, as the pastor of that particular church was soon to discover, some pastors get thrown out when they don't understand the sacred power and history of Jesus's dinner table. You know, the table and shared meals are central for us Christians. And we're told Jesus eagerly, eagerly anticipated them. Now, we tell a bit of the story every time we celebrate communion. Uh, we remember this final meal. But I'll tell you, as, as I read and meditate on the scripture, I notice something that I, I just not picked up on before. Jesus gives thanks three times during the meal. I, I tried to suggest that or emphasize it, and I hope you caught it. It, it would have been probably a traditional Hebrew mealtime blessing, uh, first with the cup and then with the bread and then again with the cup. It would have gone something like, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. And then later in the meal, blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then at the end of the meal, and uh, blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who again has created the fruit of the vine. Now, Jesus had already said that he was about to suffer greatly, but he still paused at least three times during that meal to essentially toast God, right? To give a toast to God. Uh, Jesus said, I'm about to suffer and die, but God, you are the greatest. In fact, you are the king of the entire universe. And, and, and probably somewhat evocative of Psalm 23, he probably said something like, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, right? Because that's what was happening. Enemies are all around, Jesus said, but you've given us this amazing moment, Lord, and we give thanks to you for the bread and the wine and the friends, even friends who will fail. Here is to you, Lord. Now, I know that many of us have a tradition of saying something we're thankful for on Thanksgiving Day, but you know, remember, from the very beginning of this beloved tradition, our pilgrim and Puritan faith ancestors centered the meal and their gratitude on God. I mean, remember, after losing half their number that first year to starvation and disease in Plymouth, the pilgrims still came together with the Wampanoag people to thank God for the food and the new friends and for survival. Theirs, theirs was no generic thankfulness. 
No, they thanked the God of the universe who promised to sustain them in this life and in the life that was and is to come. It was a tradition based on Jesus's love of the table and Jesus's example that even, and perhaps especially in difficult moments, we pause to give thanks to God. We give thanks to the one to whom we live to and die to. I mean, I I sometimes think, how would our meals be different? How would our lives be different and better if in good times and in bad, we paused in our meals to toast God and to say a robust, thank you, thank you. Now, with that said, dinners and shared meals, as you well know and I know, they're not always easy events. I remember growing up, my mother, who took great pains and pride to make wonderful meals for our family, would get just really angry when our dinners would uh, devolve into potty talk. Um, One of the more memorable meals in our household was the night when my mother finally got up and announced, you know, if we have another dinner like this, I am going to take an ax to that table. And that, that left an impression and the conversations did change after that. You know, dinners aren't always pleasant and comfortable, which doesn't mean they're not critically important. I mean, Thanksgiving dinner uh, is a meal, for instance, that can be anticipated with an equal amount of joy and dread, right? I mean, for everyone who says, oh, how much they love the Thanksgiving dinner, there are plenty of others who can barely tolerate some of the people who show up at the table. And Just like inappropriate talk at the Garner's table, there are, apparently, topics that should not be broached on Thanksgiving if you want to keep the table intact. There's there's quite a lot of advice out there, actually, about what topics to avoid and what topics are appropriate for the Thanksgiving table. As a general rule, uh, most etiquette consultants agree that uh, religion, politics, personal finance, sex, and family drama should be off the table completely. I found one etiquette consultant who gave suggestions on topics that are safe for just about any table. To avoid uncomfortable conversation, the suggestions were to speak about the decor of the room, to speak about music if it happens to be played. Uh, You can talk about any fashions that might be on display. And then, of course, you can uh, talk to... uh, uh, You can talk about the food and the wine that's being served as long as those comments are complimentary. Now, what strikes me as we read the story of the Last Supper is that Jesus must have missed that particular etiquette lesson. Did you notice the topics raised in that final meal? A meal and conversation that we're told Jesus was eager to get to? Well, first, Luke indicates that Jesus talked about his upcoming suffering, right? And then after that, Jesus transitioned into the matter of betrayal. One of Jesus's invitees, one of his students, one of his friends was going to turn him into the authorities. And after the disciples began to argue with one another, they had a dispute. Right there in the dinner table, they had a dispute over who was the greatest. And it was a dispute that Jesus had to set them straight on. And then Jesus went on to tell his star disciple, Peter, that Peter would deny ever knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. I mean, that was the dinner conversation. Suffering, betrayal, a heated argument over greatness, and denial. I mean, talk about uncomfortable. I mean, why not just focus on the vintage of the wine and the quality of the bread and the decor of the upper room? Why? Because our Lord, Jesus Christ, doesn't deal in triviality. And Jesus doesn't shy away from discomfort. And Jesus doesn't discard flawed people. And I would suggest that's very good news. And we've been telling the story of this meal for the past 2,000 years. 
and the table has been the focal point of worship ever since. You know, as this story is told in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus says something a little bit different during the meal, or at least it's recorded differently. He says, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you, he says to his friends, until I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So that means this isn't a dinner gone so badly that an ax needs to be taken to the table or a dinner gone so miserably wrong that these people won't ever gather together again. You know, the ex- expectation was that the dinners would continue and the flawed friends would be regathered and the conversations would continue and more wine and bread would be shared and, and prayer after prayer, thanking God for this big, wonderful, holy mess of a universe will be offered. See, Jesus was onto something. You see, the table really matters. The table has a a way of bringing health and healing to people and relationships. There's there's studies, oh my word, countless studies that show that gathering together at a table for a meal, is not only a holy experience, but it's a really healthy one too. Studies show that that sharing meals with others is a great way to reduce stress, to boost self-esteem, and and to improve social connection, particularly for kids. Uh, More frequent family dinners, are related to fewer emotional and behavioral problems in kids and a sense of higher life satisfaction. But you know, it it goes beyond the family. Communal eating increases social bonding and it enhances one's sense of uh, contentedness and embedding within the community. Uh, You probably know this, Congress, you know, our divided Congress. Uh, Before air travel allowed members of Congress to return to their home districts every weekend, they had to stay together. So, so they'd fight tooth and nail all week long. And then during the weekends, they'd eat together. They, they'd fight, but many of them were friends. See, dinner together does something to us. It, in fact, it does something chemically. Research shows that, that after just a single food sharing event, the level circulating of oxytocin, the, the love hormone, are higher. And they promote social bonding and increase levels of cooperation and connection. I'll tell you, inviting friends, and maybe more importantly, inviting foes to your table can change relationships for the better. So you want to you heal a relationship or mend a rift? Here's the key. Invite someone to dinner, but go beyond that. Follow Jesus. Don't only invite someone to dinner, eagerly anticipate the meal. Pause to give thanks to God at the table and dare, dare, dare to have real, important, robust conversations. See, the table really matters. The table is central. The table and Jesus's call to it are essential on Thanksgiving day, every day. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, sometimes we might overlook, even in our own homes, the table, that place of gathering. Uh, and sometimes, Lord, we choose to eat too fast or eat alone so we don't, we don't ever experience or rarely experience the blessing of a gathered and shared meal. And yet, Lord, that is where you did most of your work. It's where you did most of your teaching, your instruction, your caring. And so, Lord, help us to take more table time to realize that, that the table really does matter, that when we gather together, with those we love and like, and with those we dislike intensely, that something miraculous happens within us and among us, that your spirit is loosed and we are drawn ever more closely together, which is, Lord God, your deepest desire for us. So help us on our way, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Well, church family, we launch into another week, and as we do so, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with kindness and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Worship on the Go. To support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please consider making a contribution by clicking the Give button in the top right on our website, www.godsacre.org, or within today's email. God bless you and have a wonderful week.